Turn with me over to the book of Matthew. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32 through 38. Verses 32 through 38. The title of the message is Faith to Distribute. Jesus uses little to do much. Jesus uses little to do much. Verse 32 of Matthew 15. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now about three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they may faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said, verse 34, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven loaves and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. 36. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over, the broken pieces, seven large basket full, baskets full. 38. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Lord, help us as we study your word. Five things in this passage about which I wish to speak. One, the motivation behind this miracle. It says that Christ was moved with compassion. Uh, Jesus then mentions the need to the disciples. The disciples then mention their need to Jesus. Jesus then takes whatever they have and then distributes it by breaking it and praying for it. This miracle is, is one that is uh, a duplicate except the circumstances are a little bit different. It's not a duplicate in every way, but it's close enough to say he did it again. This miracle happens right about the, the end of his first year of ministry. He's already fed the 5,000. This is feeding the 4,000. Now, it's not the same people group. The 5,000 were fed pretty much in the region in which he, he grew up, Nazareth, Capernaum, Nain, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Israel, the northern part of Israel. Jesus said the 5,000 there, and there were 5,000 men besides women and children fed there, and they were fed with five loaves and two fish. This miracle happens on the other side of the sea, in the Decapolis, what we know as the Gadarenes, or the place of the Gentiles. There probably were some Jewish people there. But this was largely a people that were not covenantal. Now what we see here is Jesus taking a diversion from his norm. It doesn't mean he was doing anything wrong because he never did. But it does mean that he cared about people more than just the folks to whom he was sent. That he actually was thinking about Adam, not just Abraham. That God cared about all of humanity, not just Israel. And he spent a, a little bit of time over there. I mean, this is one moment. He spent another moment where we see the Gadarene demoniac 
A man who was proclaimed to have had 6,000 demons on the inside of him. Jesus sees him there when they get off the boat. The man introduces himself for the most part. Jesus says, who are you? He says, we are legion, for we are many. Legion was the term they would use in the Roman Empire for a group of men in the army that represented 6,000 soldiers. Now, I don't know that any one human being can actually handle 6,000 devils on the inside of him. I don't think that's possible. And I think I'm pretty solid in that because the devil's a liar. Yeah, and you know, he said he was, but he lies. He wants to seem more formidable than he really is. We're, we're massive. Really, leave. <laughs> I don't know, but everybody in that region, he had enough power on him now. I'm not saying he was weak. He had enough power enough to scare everybody in the region. He had some issues. And Jesus saw him delivered. So Jesus had spent some time on the other side of the Sea of Galilee caring about people. It wasn't his, his, his normal routine, but he did care for you and me. Gentiles, people who were not a part of the kingdom. We see the greatest miracles. At least he says so. And I don't know how in the world you categorize great with respect to miracles. <laughs> They're all amazing. But he said, I've never seen such great faith. By a centurion, this is what he says. A man who said, Lord, you don't even have to come under my roof in order to see, see my servant healed who is sick. Just say the word from where you are because I'm a man under authority. And I have people who are under me. And when I tell them to go, they go. And when I tell them to come, they come. If you say the word, sure enough, my servant will be healed from here. You don't have to go over there. Jesus said, I have never in my ministry, in my life, seen anybody with that much faith. He commended Gentiles, this Roman soldier who had a Jewish servant sick. He commended them. So God had a passion for people like us, even though Jesus was primarily sent to the Jews. This miracle happened in the region across the sea. But it was so similar that the disciples should have gotten a clue. Now, in the first one, when he feeds the 5,000, it says 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. So there could have been... Minimum of 12,000 people there, fed by five loaves and two fish. If it was just 5,000 men, it would be miracle enough. But if you double it and then half it again, somewhere in the neighborhood of 12,000 people were probably fed. Wow, with five loaves and two fish, that is amazing. And the disciples at that moment had never seen anything like this. And so they respond differently in the first, meaning the feeding of the 5,000, than they do in the feeding of the 4,000. And these two miracles happen about five to six months apart. The first time, they're out there for, for what they believe is just a day-long conference, but Jesus spends two or three days, and the people don't bring enough provision. But the disciples realize, we know this guy's fairly long-winded, so we better bring lunch. <laughs> and so they come with their stuff. Everybody else doesn't know. This is the first time maybe they're, they're hearing from this possible messianic figure. They're not quite sure who he is, but they know he is really special. The word has gotten out. What happened at the River Jordan with John the Baptist? There's a buzz going around. There was a dove that landed on this dude. And the heavens spoken. Oh, my God. Really? That happened? Really? Yeah. Who is he? I don't know. Let's go here. And everybody came out to hear what he had to say. Three days. And now these people don't have any food. The disciples come to Jesus and say, send these people away. Because they don't have any food, they're going to faint if they try to walk up. Send them home now. It's Sunday, Chick-fil-A's closed. They need some food. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus says, why don't you feed them? What? 
that wasn't an option. <laughs> what, what do you mean? I don't, I, I, we, we don't have enough to feed these people. What do you have? Well, they went around and looked in their provisions. We got about five loaves and two. Four. What is that five loaves? Why are you asking? There's not enough, whatever it is. Give it to me. Breaks it, feeds them all. And the disciples were, were the table servers. And so they saw the miracle happening. They didn't just sit there and, and, and wait for the stuff to finish. They were out there saying, I've got more on my plate than we gave him. I don't know how this is happening. And every time I go back, I get more. This is amazing. And so they got to actually see the miracle. And at the end of it, there were 12 basketfuls left over. Twelve ba- for e- one for each of the disciples. Now, most of us would say, you mean they would eat that stuff? Leftovers from somebody else? Hey, listen, Americans are the only ones that are concerned about double dipping. <laughs> the whole world is a communal a- atmosphere. You sit at a table, you lie down. Back then, they, they actually reclined, chase loungers at a table, a round table, and they just brought the food to a middle big plate like a huge pizza pie pan, and they just plopped it in the middle, and you just dug in there with your injera or your, your pita bread, and you just got it, and you just shared. That's the way it was. You didn't have your own individual plate. The whole world double dipped. And so when they got 12 basketfuls, I mean, they went home to mama. And mama said, I ain't got to go to the grocery for about a week now. That was really special. So they were happy. This miracle is a little, little, little different. You have the disciples now realizing these people around, Jesus is ministering, and <clears throat> Here we have, it says, Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, it doesn't say that in in the miracle of the 5,000. It doesn't mean he wasn't. But it does mean that there was an emphasis on it. Compassion does something to you that obligation never will. Simply because you feel it's right to do doesn't mean that you will always do it. Or do it in the right spirit. But compassion unlocks something in your soul that engages you in the mission. You go beyond just duty. You capture the heart of God. And there's an atmosphere of worship that descends upon your life when you engage compassion. It says Jesus was moved with compassion. Why? Because these people, most of them Gentiles, had never heard anything like what he was sharing. And the last thing he wanted was for them to go away. This was like water to people in a spiritual desert for the last 40 years of their life or however long they had been living. The people of Israel, they had heard some good stuff. They had the law. They had Moses. They had the prophets. They had so much encouragement. They could go to their synagogues. These people had nothing. And Jesus realized, when I go back to the other side, they will have nothing again. And here he lasts a little bit longer. But the difference is, we don't hear the disciples saying anything. They don't say this time, send these people away. And in in my own interpretation of Scripture, in my exegesis at this point, I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus is waiting for them to respond well because they've been here before. I've kind of worked the numbers here between 12 and 4,000 and 12 and and 5,000 and then adding women and children to that. So maybe 12 and, 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 I don't know, 9,000 and 12 and... And, and 12,000. And the numbers are remarkably similar to the ratios that exist in our church. 
Meaning if you took all the folks that called us home on an Easter, which is about 7,000, and my numbers might be wrong, but I never try to exaggerate because I never want us to seem more than we are. And then maybe if you ratchet it back more, more conservatively, 5,000 who actually attend on a monthly basis. Unfortunately, most Christians only attend church once a month. You, you want me to cry? That, that'll make a brother, that'll make a pastor cry. Most Christians only attend church once a month. Really sad. And then about 3,000 to 3,500 actually attend all of our services here. If you work up the ratios, eh, 12 disciples to 5,000 or 12,000, 12 disciples to 4,000 or 9,000, remarkably similar. Remarkably similar. And we're called to win the city. When I talk about ratios, I'm talking about the 7,000, the 5,000, however you want to cut it to who we are, winning the 7 million. Serving the 7 million. Ah, we can't do it on our own. I know that. We need the rest of the body of Christ to help win the city. But none of us should ever say the need is too great. How, I don't know why I, I'm not getting more amens on that point. Amen. We should never look at the opportunity that is, that is bigger than us, that is a city, and act like the disciples and say, we don't have enough to meet their need because God could take our five loaves and two fish and multiply it to feed seven million. Are you listening? Again, look at the ratios. Do the math yourself on your phone. Get your calculator out after the service. <laughs> Remarkably similar. And I want all of us to respond differently than the disciples did at this point because I think there was a very long pause. Jesus was waiting for the disciples to say something in faith. Like, you going to do that thing again? Here we are. We got a whole bunch of people. Are they hungry? They should be on their way, but you want to keep them here for this longer conference that they thought they, they, they needed to come to? Can we do that again? That was really cool. Because Mom liked it, the, the loaves that came home with me. Mom, that's we, but, but, but aside from that, forget it how I benefited. Wow, what a thing you did. And the people can eat and still receive your word. <laughs> You're going to do that again. God has done miracles for us and through us. We've got a whole history of talking and, 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 and remembering what he has done for this church. I've been here almost four decades, 38 years, and it is remarkable that we are here. If you heard our whole story, it would take about three sermons to allow you the privilege of catching up in faith to what God has done for this people. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And all of them are not just those about which we need to testify. They are building blocks so that we can ask him, do it again. You did it once, do it again. I know what you did yesterday. Let's see it happen again. <laughs> we got a whole field full of people. Woo! And they're receiving the word. This is a moment, God. Make it happen again and use me. I'm ready. Here's my little bit. We hear nothing from the disciples. Silence, crickets, crickets. They don't say what they said last time, which is really good. Like, send them away, please. At least they didn't do the negative. But they didn't do anything positive. And Jesus finally says, 
There's a need out there. I don't want these people to go away hungry. <laughs> I want them to stay and listen to some more words. So, like, what do you got? And, and this is how they describe it. We have seven loaves and a few small fish. Now, when you go to the Sea of Galilee, it, it's so large that it really feels like a sea. That's why they call it that. But it's really a lake. It's about 8 by 11 in terms of diameter at, at both ends. 8 this way, 11 this way, miles. And so it's really big. You can't see the shore. You can see the mountains on the other side, but you can't see the shore from where you are, wherever you are on the other side. It's too far. It looks like a sea. So they call it a sea, but it's really a huge lake. <clears throat> and the disciples were trying to figure out how in the world can we get these people to be fed as they should without taking what we have. And the Sea of Galilee would provide fish that were fairly big. We're not talking about rainbow trout out of a creek. Because it was such a large environment in which fish could live, you could get fish this big. I don't know what kinds, but they were big. Now, small fish were kind of like this. Things that a family could eat in one night. But they wanted to, make, they wanted to let Jesus know that, that even the, the fishermen thought these fish were really small. Sardines? <laughs> a few, a few small fish using double diminutive terms in order to describe the insignificance of their resources. In order that Jesus might say, ah, never mind, eat yours. Keep it, whatever you want to do. He says, give it to me. Oh, he's taking my lunch again. He's taking my lunch again. They had forgotten. Listen, if you realize you had more to take home than when you gave, why wouldn't you say, here, my wallet, my, 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 my stocks, my bonds, whatever you want, the investment I have is nothing compared to what you're going to return to me. Just take whatever. Here, I volunteer all I got. Because I know I'm going to take home more than I gave you. The disciples' faith was so low, they forgot. Listen to me. Whatever God does for you, don't forget. It is to be a building block. A building block for what he wants to do tomorrow. And this city is big. We need to remember what he has done for us. Next month is our anniversary month. We'll have a walk down memory lane. It's going to be great. But it's not just to thank him for what he has done. It's to remember so we can believe for what he will do. He's done great things for you. Great things for you. And this horrific event through which we've been in the past two weeks, it has not been singular in its orientation for me. I have reflected back on all that God has done. And I said, this here is going to turn out for our good. I don't know how, but I know my God. And I know how he's treated me. And so I'm going to respond in faith even though my heart is aching on the inside every moment of my life for my friends. Aching beyond that which I can articulate. I am going to dig through the morass of all the rubble and find faith in my God to believe that somehow or another this is going to turn out better than if it had never happened. The disciples forgot, forgot. It had only been five months. 
It only been five months. We're not talking about four years, five months. And it was so similar, they should volunteer. Jesus said, I've been waiting for you to step up. You won't. I have to bring it up. Here, take these. Now, the interesting thing is, the five loaves and the two fish that were taken from the, the disciples to feed the 5,000 and the women and children yielded them 12 basketfuls uh, returning. Less resources and yet more return. Why? When you're ministering to the church and Jesus was ministering to the Israelites with the 5,000, generally you have you don't need near as much to prime the pump and the return is greater because the people have all the word on the inside of them to leverage that which you've given them for more. The Israelites knew the law. They had the prophets. And so generally you don't need near as much to feed the people of God in order to get something from them that's going to bring benefit to the kingdom because they've already got stuff on the inside to leverage whatever little you've given them. But with the Gentiles, you need more, seven loaves and a few fish. They had more resources with which to start, and it says at the end they got seven basketfuls left over. Generally, when we feed the world, we need more to do it, and we get less back because they don't have anything. They don't know how to, all they know how to do for the most part is consume, and that's the way we used to be. We're not trying to figure out how, we weren't trying to figure out how in the world to glorify God, when somebody showed up at our front door with resources, we said, thank you, I can eat. There was nothing about how to give back. Our job is to minister to the world with whatever we've got, though it may not be enough for all that they need, we give it to God, he, he multiplies it, and then we leverage it out for their benefit. We may not get near as much back as if we were doing it for the church. They may not offer us anything. We won't get anything in terms of financial remuneration. We're not doing it for that. What we're doing it for is to serve the kingdom, to serve our God and to see people's needs met. But this is a pattern that when you give out there, don't expect as much back as if you gave to the kingdom. And the disciples didn't want to give anything. Give me what you got. Seven loaves, shoes off, breaks it. Hands it out to the disciples. Disciples hand it out to the people. 4,000 were fed besides women and children. I am convinced that not only are we called as a people to distribute our resources, the little bit that we have in relation to the need that is out there, we might be a church that has more resources than other congregations simply because we're larger. And that makes us more responsible. That doesn't make us more rich. To whom much is given, much is required. This is why we are doing what we are doing, shooting out our resources in shotgun fashion sometimes. Not much trying to hit the target, just trying to hit the wall. Making sure that everybody out there gets their needs met. And if somebody gets a little bit more than they should, if we don't hit the target, that's okay. At least we hit most of it. We can't be so pedantic that we're trying to figure out, let's make sure every dime is spent well on the world. We have to account for it before God. No, 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 it's not like that. We're trying to figure out, let's make sure nobody is deprived. And if, we, if, if, if there's a little bit of lack of stewardship in there, okay, well, we'll fix that. But at least somebody got fed. At least somebody got some clothes. At least a child got a pencil to write with this year. That's the way we're doing what we're doing. 
Could somebody have manipulated the environment in order to get what they wanted when they really didn't need it? Absolutely happens all the time. That ain't my concern. That's between them and God. My God, my God, my job is to make sure I give. <clears throat> I'm convinced that we're supposed to give our resources. But those resources aren't just financial. Those resources are people. Oh, we are about sending. We are about planting. We are about distributing folks into this metropolitan area to see this city won. We're still on the church planting path. We're going to plant churches in D.C., a bunch of them, bunch of them. We're going to buy property, and we're going to do it so often that we won't even tell you. It just will be a normal process. We just go out and get this, get that, get that. Why? Because this is what we do. It's no longer a big highlight. The highlight is we plant. And if there is not something happening with respect to planting, then somebody ought to say, what y'all doing? There are 7 million people out there. How come you haven't taken your five loaves and two fish and distributed? That's what somebody ought to say. We're in the process of trying to figure out how can we distribute the leadership. Listen to me. I would not trade our church staff for anybody. Any human being. And I am unapologetically biased, but they're extremely competent. I've got Pastor Jim Critcher, one of the best prophets on the planet. Stephen Law. One of the best young exegetes you'll ever want to hear. Stephen Mansfield wrote more books than I can count and has such wisdom and expertise and navig navigable skills in the in sociological environment, in the political environment. He's amazing. I got Tellus and AJ over here, these uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> Just, they're best friends, they love each other deeply. And they can preach the paint off the walls. I got my son Garrison, my daughter Brooke, I got Hannah Beth, I got Sean Clemens. They're, listen, this staff is outstanding. Outstanding. And all of them, listen to me, all of them could be leaders in their own right. And somehow or another, we're going to give them the opportunity to experience what's beyond where they are now. And we are going to send, we are going to send, and we are going to send. Well, you say, well, what happens when you send out? Well, we just make more. That's what we do. We disciple people. We do leadership development. We raise them up from the inside. That's how all these people got here. Save that one and that one. It came from other places. And we'll we love the adoptions. We love the adoptions. They, they help us. Out. But for the most, this is what we do. We raise them up. We grow them up. We give them opportunities to fail. They get up here, and, and, and the first time they, they, they get up here and do a transition, they preach on a Wednesday night. Oh, it's wonderfully terrible. <laughs> wonderfully terrible. I mean, I sit down with them after and say, you know, that was one of the best worst sermons I've ever heard in my life. You were fabulous in your exhortation, but your exegesis was terrible. Where did you read that? How did you get that? Oh, it's good, and, and there are so many people that help everybody in the process of growing up and articulating truth and then wrapping that truth they know in Scripture around our vision so that it sounds like me, us, even though it's not me. Now, I'm not trying to produce clones. Never, never don't want them because one of me is enough. <laughs> Probably a little bit too much. I don't even like me that much. 
I'm crying out for mercy every day saying, God, change me. I don't want people to be like me. I want them to be the best version of them in Christ. Free to express themselves in a way that, 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 is, that is unique to how God made them, yet incorporating our vision and our mission and all of our values. Those are really important because it makes us consistent in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, in our women's ministry, in our men's ministry. Same message, different voices, all saying the same kind of thing with respect to vision and mission and being on point. We're going to plant and we are going to distribute. Again, we need the entire body of Christ, the entire body of Christ, the church at large, to be able to fulfill this mission of making sure that the people who are called our community, the 7 million folks that are in the Washington metropolitan area, that multitude can be fed well. And all of us, though we need the entire body of Christ, all of us need to act like they're not going to help. I believe they are. But we need to act like they are not going to help and do our part. And if our part is just seven loaves and a few small fish, we present it to our God. If it's just one pastor sent to D.C. with a, a skeleton uh, uh, staff of somebody answering the telephone and a children's ministry and they're trying to work it, God, we, we give that to you. We pray you would multiply it. We send them to you and we send them to that area. God will bless if we will always ask, are you going to do it again? And would you, would you please use my stuff? Please use my stuff. Jesus uses a little. He doesn't need much. He uses just a little to do much. And you might be that little. He doesn't need somebody great. He's never looking for the superstar. He's always looking for the person that's in obscurity. That human being that nobody thinks ought to be the person that ought to do what he wants them to do. Me. There's no way I should be doing what I'm doing. None. And I don't think I'm even doing it as well as I should. And so I'm limping around trying to figure out how to be better every day. But he loves to do that. Who was David before David was David? Somebody nobody thought about. In fact, everybody, when he got anointed, said, not him. Are you? Are you? Are, no. His brothers hated him, were jealous of him, envious of the position that God had given him. Nobody thought much of Jesus growing up. A carpenter's son? Oh, Mary and Joseph, we know about that relationship. Mm. Everybody had their own ideas about whoever God had put his anointing on. And that ought to make you feel really good. Because you may not think much of yourself. But remember, generally speaking, God pays exactly for the thing that he's trying to buy what it's worth. He doesn't spend more than what it's worth. He didn't get a good deal, that's for sure. Are you, you're not getting what I'm saying. When he paid for you, he did not get a good deal. He bought problems. I'm going to wait until you say amen, all of you. He bought problems. You are, I am a problem. <laughs> a used, broken down, inoperable car 
and he paid $30,000 for it. And you sit there and say, oh, that's, a, that's terrible. But he saw something. He saw something. And as a result of seeing something, and somebody complied, you can become what he paid for. You may not think yourself much, but God can make you much. Whenever you see a need out there, don't think, <laughs> go find someplace else to get it met. Lord, will you do it again? Lord, will you do it again? And here's my stuff. Let's pray.